Welcome to the Lightning Round. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round podcast. I am your host, Dave Kirshner, and it is week nine in the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games, and Biden is really screwing stuff up. And if you've been paying attention, you already know this, but let's get into it. So, in Portland, the home of Antifa, they are apparently uh, not satisfied with anything, and the city was damaged again by a weekend-long riot, and there must have been good weather out in the Pacific Northwest, because they, they were out in, in full regalia, smashing stuff, as they do. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think they even really know anymore what they're raging against. And it's pathetic. But apparently, uh, there are enough well-placed donors for the, uh, the mayor of Portland uh, that are now telling him to uh, get his ship in order uh, because... They're starting to get louder and louder, and then suddenly, lo and behold, he realizes the error of his ways and has made a reversal and said, well, the defunding of police probably wasn't a good idea, I'm paraphrasing, uh, because... The city of Portland has seen a several hundred percent rise in violent crime, murder, rape, theft, armed robbery, you name it. And now, <laughs> now this idiot, Mayor Ted Wheeler, uh, has decreed... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to give $2 million back to refund the police because it's out of control. What did you think was going to happen when you gave in to the mob and said, yep, defunding police is a great idea because cops are bad? No, no, you're an idiot. One in a hundred, maybe, the cop is bad. 99.9% .9 of them out there are good, honest, hardworking, decent people doing their best to protect not only this idiot Wheeler and all of the idiots that populate these Antifa ranks, but you and me, common folk, law-abiding citizens who just want to be left alone to live our lives in peace and tranquility. I'm, I'm free to do what I want to do to earn money, to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
But these Antifa thugs, they don't want anything to do with that. They just want to rage. They got no agenda. They just want to rage. They want to go bash in the Starbucks windows that they were shopping in and picking up an ice cold ice mocha latte with soy milk the day before. They want to shove a scooter through the window. They want to pick up ATM machines and smash them with crowbars and try and steal the money out of them. It is just to the point where you're just shaking your head saying, you know what? Why, why, why are the cops stopping at non-lethal rounds? Because these guys are idiots. The court systems being run by these Democrats in these liberal cities are slapping them on the wrist and saying, no, nah, you guys promise not to do that again. And they go, okay, sure. I won't do it again. Until my welfare check doesn't come, and then I'm going to go smash a window. Just a bunch of... You know, it's really difficult uh, when... <laughs> I, I, uh, Four-letter words are part of my vernacular. And it's really difficult to, to keep that under wraps when I'm, when I'm recording a podcast and getting all worked up. But anyway... Uh, so, so that's what's going on in Portland. And I, and, and I think it's important that, um, we all understand what the left is doing in terms of their step by methodical step approach to achieving their ultimate goal of social justice and social reform. So that leads me to, uh, kind of their golden God of radicalism, Saul Alinsky. And I got to tell you, this guy was a piece of work, but I I will say this for Saul Alinsky. I mean, yeah, he's dead. Rest in peace. He died in 1972. A year after he published his, more or less, his manifesto for radicals called Rules for Radicals. And I don't think... Oh, by the way, he was the original... (laughs) <laughs> quote-unquote, community organizer. And he gets a lot of, 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 I don't know what to call it, publicity, or he gets a lot of notoriety because uh, he was from Chicago, and, you know, that's where Barry Obama was from, you know, after he left Hawaii, I mean, Indonesia, wait, Hawaii. And... He, too, was a community organizer who went on to become a senator who voted for nothing. He voted for nothing. He simply voted president for four years or six years or however long he was in there before he gave his speech at the DNC convention. And everybody was like, oh, Messiah, we must make you president. We love you. He had nothing. He buried all of his college transcripts. We have no idea if that little jackass has a degree. But, oh, he's a community organizer with Acorn from the great city of Chicago. Give me a freaking break. That guy was the worst thing for our country ever. Ever. But I digress. Saul Alinsky also gets a good bit of notoriety because Killary wrote a thesis about this little radical from Chicago. Gonna get me a dog with sport peppers. (sighs) Anyway, so Alinsky writes a book called Rules for Radicals, and he tells you right away in the first paragraph, 
This is what he wrote, and I quote, What follows is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. The Prince was written by Machiavelli for the haves on how to hold power. Rules for Radicals is written for the have-nots on how to take it away. End quote. <laughs> so instead of building something, a company, uh, a livelihood, uh, a career, uh, instead of earning your way in this country to build your way up from the bottom or to you know get your degree or even go to college, to any of it, instead of earning it or building it, this genius thinks, I'm going to teach them how to take it away from the people that earned it. Because, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he just thought, well, that's too hard. Do I really have to go to college for four years? Do, do I really need to learn a skill or a trade as a, you know, a, a, as a low-paid apprentice as I learn the skill and trade? Uh, that doesn't seem fair. Let's just go take it away from the ones who did it. He seems nice. Anyway, so as I as I was prepping for the show and and I, I came across this uh, article about what was going on in Portland, and and the only thing I could think was Saul Alinsky strikes again, but. You have to put that into context. You have to understand what this guy was all about. And and I did you guys a favor. I read his crap, so you don't have to. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah, there's not much in there that, that I didn't want to just jump out of my skin. Anyway, um, so now there are a lot of lists out there on the Internet, social media, um, that deals with, uh, radicals and socialism and communism and, and and at some point in time the list was likely attributed to Saul Alinsky <laughs> because a lot of the lists that are out there like um, uh, like what I'm about to read to you they sound like Saul Alinsky but if you take a closer look at what was actually written these were things that were not uh, particularly high on on Saul Alinsky's list. He was all about social change, and not necessarily takeover. I mean, he actually wrote that you know he was all for a democratic system of government, but uh, he wanted to use community organized events of of basically mobs to wreak enough havoc and cause enough noise that the haves would give in to the have-nots. And by the way, the have-nots are the mob. It's just, yeah. So, so you, maybe you've seen something like this. It's a list, and it says, uh, there are eight levels of control that must be obtained before you are able to create a social state. Now, that sounds like Alinsky. And then the eight things were, and, and it says that uh, the first is the most important. I don't know. The first what? This first item in the list? I don't know. So the, the eight items were... Healthcare, poverty, debt, gun control, welfare, education, religion, and class warfare. One through eight. 
um, and, and what they said to kind of expound on some of these things. So number one, healthcare. Control healthcare and you control the people. Number two, poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control and will not fight back if you are providing everything for them to live. Mm -hmm. Number three, debt. Increase the debt to an unsustainable level. That way you are able to increase taxes and this will produce more poverty. <laughs> now, now remind you, I'm reminding you, this was not written by Alinsky. This was written some by somebody who had Alinsky tendencies, I guess. But anyway, number three is actually what made me go look for this list because I have already seen this list and I knew it was in there. And the reason I wanted to go look for this list is because dun, da, 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 our old pal Biden is raising taxes. He's he's decreed, or his administration, whoever his handlers are for this little Manchurian candidate, are uh, going to raise your taxes. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. <sighs> anyway, number four, gun control. Remove the ability to defend themselves from the government. That way you're able to create a police state. <laughs> <laughs> so Biden and his little handlers, they're out there pushing gun control in the House and Senate. So, you know, gun control's coming home to you real soon. Number five, welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, and income. Number six, education. Take control of what people read and listen to. Take control of what children learn in school. <laughs> Let's cancel Dr. Seuss. Elmer Fudd's not allowed to carry a shotgun anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm, maybe they have. I haven't noticed it, but I'm, I'm waiting for him to cancel Porky Pig because he's got a freaking speech impediment. It's making fun of slow people. I don't know. But he, but he, but he, but he, but he, that's all, folks. Nope, you're canceled. You can't stutter. It's making fun of people who stutter. <sighs> I swear, you know, I don't know if I should be recording this right now. It really just pisses me off. And this is a fake list, and it pisses me off this much. So, number seven, religion. Remove the belief in the God from the government and schools. Well, separation of church and state was written into our Constitution, but it didn't mean that we couldn't pray in school, and they want to try and remove that from this fake list anyway. Class warfare is number eight, the last item on the list. Divide the people into the wealthy and the poor. This will cause more discontent and it will be easier to take, a la taxes, the wealthy with the support of the poor. This is a fake list, but it sounds like Alinsky. Um, so, yeah, so unfortunately this is not taken from something Alinsky wrote. Um, and that would be too easy for the political right to grab onto, but... It didn't stop them from doing it. Um, I don't, I swear nobody does their own research anymore. Uh, they just, they, you know, they see a, a meme on Instagram or Twitter or, or, or Facebook and they're like, yep, facts. And nobody wants to go dig up their own research. So I just, I do it for them because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> it's all right. I did some detective work. And um, 
basically, what I found was that the list that I just read to you was written as more or less a rebuttal to the to the decadence, the the drugs and protest and counterculture and free love, man, of the 1960s. Uh, by a group known as the New England Rally for God, Family, and Country. Uh, so, <laughs> ironically, this list for the the, uh, the the list of eight was basically has been referred to over time as the communi communist rules for revolution. That's what that list of eight is basically called, and it and it was written by a, a conservative right-wing group, we think. Uh, there's no, uh, nobody from that group from the 19, late 60s, early 70s uh, has come forward and said, oh no, I wrote that list as part of our platform or anything like that. But it's generally uh, apocryphal to the Communist Rules for Revolution. Um, and Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, was published in 1971. The Communist Rules for Revolution was published in the summer, or was located in the summer of 1970, a year before. So, but it didn't, <laughs> because he was alive when the Communist Rules for Revolution was written, or published, or acknowledged, um, Every time it comes up, they say, oh, uh, there's Saul Alinsky again. He, he's, he's reaching out from the grave. Um, <clears throat> but the more common or widely understood for anybody doing their own research was that um, this, this conservative right group was, was sick of, the, of the, the Vietnam protests. It was sick of, of, of all of this. 60s, all of the crap going on, so they wrote this list. But because Alinsky died a year after his book was published, we'll never know if, if he ever saw the list and was that the impetus to write Rules for Radicals. Um, we won't know if his 13 rules were based off of those eight where he just kind of Saw the eight. He was like, "Well, that's kind of true, but you know, let's let's back it up and make it a more broad, more general uh, sense." So, you know, so we'll never know if that was one of the contributing factors. So, uh, in an even bigger twist, by the way, because I'm I'm a bit of a research hound, uh, the Tea Party movement in the early 2000s began studying Alinsky, and they appropriated some of his the, the some of his rules for radicals, and and by that I mean um, an author named uh, Michael Charles Master. He wrote a new set of rules and published a book in 2009, and that book was called Rules for Conservative Radicals, and it's got a bit of a long subtitle. It was the full title is Rules for Conservative Radicals: A Response to Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. <laughs> so I don't know why he put that in there, but he did. Now, uh, the rules for conservative radicals uh, contained 16 rules for conservative radicals uh, based on lessons from Alinsky, the Tea Party movement, and the Apostle Paul. In uh, Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, he, 
he basically he outlined 13 methods that I've, I've said that before, but he outlined 13 methods that could be used or utilized for social change. And I'm going to tell you what they were for your own good. And I'm going to do this because you need to know what tactics the left is employing. You know, because once you know these things and you can recognize them for what they are, you'll be able to more easily spot what they're doing in places like Portland or Chicago or Milwaukee or St. Louis or wherever Antifa and BLM and, and any other group wants to have a, a mass rally, which, you know, peaceful protest, I'm all for. You go march down that street, you go chant what you want to chant. The minute you pick up a rock and put it through a window or you hurdle a brick at a cop, you are no longer peacefully protesting. You are, in fact, a rioter, and you deserve to get hit in the freaking chest with a non-lethal round sandbag and knocked on your ass, cuffed with zip ties and thrown in the back of a paddy wagon. You are not peacefully protesting. You are a freaking rioter. You are the mob, and you deserve every piece of police justice coming to you. So anyway, I'm going to tell you the 13 uh, rules for radicals that uh, Alinsky outlined, so that you can you can spot them when they're when they're up to their hijinks uh, in various scenarios and situations, so that you can be better armed to resist the mob and their leftist advances and their drivel. But I'm going to take a break. And now we pause for some shameless self-promotion. If you like the show and are curious as to how my mind works, then pick up my five-part fictional series today. In a nutshell, over the course of When Rome Stumbles, Hannibal is at the gates, by the dawn's early light, colder weather... And a time for reckoning, I crashed the big ag and financial industries, unleashed some jihadists and an EMP, then we spent 20 years trying to evade a socialist dictator. All five parts are available in paperback and electronic formats. Parts 1 through 3 are in audio format, and parts 4 and 5 will be in audio format by the end of the year. Now back to the show. All right, we're back, and uh, Saul Alinsky. <laughs> 13 methods that can be utilized for social change. Here you go. You ready? Number one, quote, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have, end quote. So basically power is derived from, from two main sources, according to Alinsky, uh, money and people. And the have-nots, which is what his book is written for, must build power from flesh and blood. That's what he said. Number two, quote, never go outside the expertise of your people, end quote. So <laughs> we don't want to confuse our little mobsters and our little rioters. Uh, so don't go out of their own expertise. It results in confusion, fear, and retreat. Feeling secure adds to the backbone of anyone. So there you go. Number three. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. <laughs> End quote. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. So they've basically done that because pretty much everybody in the country now owns a gun. 
because of these jackasses all summer long and our VP, Comrade Kamala, out there giving pressers saying anybody that's arrested for rioting, you know, we're putting together a coalition to post your bail. Seriously. That's what she did. And they put her in the White House. Number two! Behind old bumblin' tumblin' Biden! What day of the week is it? I don't know. Hey, where's my dog? Oh, oh, it's in Delaware. Why? Bit one of the Secret Service men, you jackass. Anyway, moving on. Number four. Make, quote, <laughs> quote, <laughs> make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. If the rule is that every letter, end quote. So what they're, ugh. so anyway, the, the quote is make the enemy live up to his own book of rules. Okay. Uh, and, and what he's saying is that if, if, if the enemy, which I assume means non-radicals, if they have a rule that says every letter gets a reply, then by God, you should send 30,000 letters. Because you can kill them with this because no one can possibly obey all of their own rules. <sighs> Number five. Quote, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. End quote. <laughs> In his... To his way of thinking, in his mind, there is no defense to, for ridicule. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions. So, basically, go public, mock them, throw a bunch of libel crap against the wall, see what sticks when the news media picks it up, and basically you have a public form of blackmail to get your way, and advance social justice reform. That's what that one says. Number six. A good tactic is one your people enjoy. End quote. <laughs> because if you've got a mob, and the mob excels at specific things, in, in, in Alinsky's time, that was knocking on doors. That was organizing community events so that you could have people come in and give speeches um, about how you know they're victims and they need the government to take control of these systems so that their lives can be better. That's what Alinsky did. That's what he envisioned. Well, now you've got these... Hee-haw idiots out in the Pacific Northwest and in, 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 in Antifa and, and BLM to an extent. I mean, it, they go out there and some of these people, they literally, truly live to destroy stuff. So... That's a tactic people enjoy. And according to Alinsky and what he's saying is that they'll keep doing it without any urging and they'll come back to do more. They're doing their thing and will even suggest better ones. So there's better ways to destroy. There's better ways 
to attack other groups that are out having peaceful protests that are in direct conflict to what you're protesting. And somehow, magically, the police direct these people so that they converge. And then the riot starts. Then the fights start. Then the firearms start popping off. It just... The left has grabbed a hold of these 13 things, and they're holding on for Almighty God. They are just... These... That's This is their Ten Commandments. Alinsky's 13 Rules for Radicals is the left's version of the Ten Commandments. Period. There's no way around it. And you'll see when I get to the rest of them. So number seven, quote, A tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. End quote. So what that means is, change it up. Go out there and have your protest and, and cause your chaos. Get the 24-hour news coverage and hold on to that for as long as you can. And when you see that it starts to wane, go have a protest about something else. And then the media will pivot and they will go cover that. And then you can pivot back and have another riot about the first thing you were rioting about. That's what they're doing. Number eight, quote, keep the pressure on, never let up, end quote. That kind of dovetails into number seven. Uh, basically, they want to keep trying new things, to keep the opposition off balance. Uh, so it's kind of like, <laughs> it, actually, it actually just makes me think about um, the Vietnam War. That tactic makes me actually, actually think about Vietnam. So what they would do in Vietnam is the NVA, the communists, they would fight, 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 fight. The U.S. military presence would pound the hell out of them, push them back, bomb the crap out of their cities, their, their little villages, their rice paddies, whatever. And then the NBA would be like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, it's getting out of control, guys. All right, you guys, let's talk peace. Let's have an armistice. Let's have a ceasefire. All right, you guys over there, you stop shooting. You, you, you guys over there, stop your booby traps. Just stop, 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 stop. Everybody stop, okay? Let's meet. We'll meet in, in a neutral city, and, and we'll, we'll discuss peace. Meanwhile, while the... American GIs and Marines, the Navy, they're enjoying a, a bit of respite. The NVA is digging tunnels. Ho Chi Minh Trail. They're rearming, they're regrouping, they're consolidating their their divisions and their groups and they're and they're separating them out and then wham! They come with a new tactic. They never let up. They keep the the people off balance. And they, they attack out of the blue. Ted Offensive. There you go. That's what I thought of when I read that. I don't know why, but it did. Number nine. Quote, the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. End quote. So, if... Because people's imaginations will, will run rampant. So if you go out and say, I'm going to go do X, 
if you're in a position of power and influence and you have not provided detail on what X means or entails, your imagination and ego can dream up far more consequences than the activist was actually initially planning on doing. So you psych yourself out and you're like, okay, you win here, take that. I give in. That's what they're trying to do. Number 10, quote, the major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. This one, I, uh, end quote, this one I think is more attuned to the incorporation and the eventual takeover of mainstream media. Because it, the mainstream media, you know it, you've seen it. You saw the level of crap that we were shoveled for four years under the Trump presidency. For four years, everything he did was the work of the devil. Orange man, bad. It didn't matter how good the policy was, they had something to bitch about. Every time. And the mainstream media was complicit. They picked it up and they ran with it. And they ran with it for so long that now the American people are looking at it and saying, you guys are full of crap. Not one single thing that you guys have reported on is actually factual. What you're actually reporting, and this is, and this is the thing I don't get, that, that Trump never said. I, I don't know why in some of these press conferences he did not take them to task and point out that News is supposed to be factual, not feelings, to the point where I would have been saying something along the lines and pushing back to them saying, you guys actually need to contact the colleges and universities that awarded you journalism degrees because apparently you didn't take all the classes. The people that wrote all of the articles for the last four years, every one of them was basically a glorified blogger. Every one of them. Because they didn't do any research. They asked maybe three questions. They extrapolated the meaning that they wanted for themselves and then presented it as fact to the American people. Every single time. And I just, for the life of me, I don't know why there isn't more pushback in the political arena on these journalisms when they go off the reservation. It's... <sighs> anyway, so the, the, the unceasing pressure that results in the left maintaining this constant pressure upon the opposition um, is essential for their success in their campaign for, for social justice. And I'm using social justice as an example right now because that's what their focus is on right now. Number 11, quote, 
If you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. End quote. Their whole point with this step is to goad the opposition, meaning, I assume, the right, because Rules for Radicals wasn't written for conservatives. They just keep throwing more and more stuff out there. What sticks, what doesn't. Ooh, that stuck? Okay, let's go hammer on that. Because if we goad them enough and they do something stupid and they get violent, then we got them. Because the public loves an underdog. They love them. So when that idiot in Charlottesville snapped and drove his car into a, a group of, of protesters, they won. The minute he turned on the car, they won. Don't believe me? Go look at the press coverage from that. Number 12. The price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. End quote. So this is Alinsky telling his little radicals, Hang Alinsky, Alinsky, we love you, we bow to you, we wash your feet. Ugh. Never let the enemy score points because you're caught without a solution to the problem. See, here's their problem. They are the problem! It's not just that they don't have a solution to the problem. Okay, they created the problem and they have no solution to the problem. That's why if you go back up to number five, they start ridicule. Oh, you're a Nazi. You're a fascist. You're you're just trying to stop us because you're a you're you hate minorities and blah 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 blah. Yes. So when they don't have a solution to their own problem, the modern radical just calls you a Nazi. It's true. Number 13, the last one on the list. Last one. And you'll, you'll recognize it. You really will. Quote, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. End quote. This is step 13. This is our current climate. This is the last step Cancel culture. That's it. That's cancel culture. Number 13. They want to cut off the support network. They want to isolate the target. They want to prevent it from garnering any sympathy. They want to go after people, not institutions, because people hurt faster than institutions. But that's not entirely true. Because you have the Dr. Seuss people, they canceled themselves. Because a little radical is in the executive arm of that company 
And they said, hey, 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 you know, if you if you read these books that were written 80 years ago, if you read these books through today's social climate, social change prism, well, that's offensive. We can't publish that. Somebody might misconstrue what Dr. Seuss said. They want to cancel Abraham Lincoln. Do you, it is beyond me to understand what they're doing. But that was his, his 13 steps, or methods. So, uh, it, I, I saw something online the other day, and I actually wrote it down. Um, this was the leftist rebuttal to something that was put online. Um bemoaning cancel culture and the mob. So, this little lefty wrote, Cancel culture is a trope, a dog whistle to white privileged whiners. (laughs) She seems nice. Listen, 1984 was a fictional work. They weren't instructions. It just, it, it boggles the mind. All right. That's enough, Alinsky. Time for a break. And now we pause for some shameless self-promotion. So fiction isn't your bag, but you want to learn about preparedness planning and herbal remedies, or maybe you'd rather make food, not war, then pick up a copy of one of my three nonfiction books. Cook a delicious multi-course meal from one of the menus in just a small gathering, Get that medicinal garden going by planting some of your favorite ingredients and recipes found in home remedies, poultices, salves, and tinctures. And if you're curious about how to solve some of your prepping problems, pick up a copy of Preparing to Prepare and see what I've done and what I recommend. Now back to the show. All right, so let's move on to one of my more favorite topics. Politics, 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 politics. Yes, the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate is the best legislature that money can buy. Corruption starts in the streets with the little peddlers. They bribe an assemblyman. The assemblyman bribes a council. The council bribes a senator. And the senator, it goes all the way up to the emperor. Shit. (laughs) I've always loved that scene from uh, the Mel Brooks movie, History of the World Part 1. That always cracks me up. Politics, politics, politics. So, all right, Joe Biden, bumbling, stumbling Joe, (laughs) his administration, his handlers, they are refusing to acknowledge that his policies to reverse Trump immigration policies are actually causing a crisis at the border. It's to the point where members of the media are in the administration press conferences with <laughs> Jen, I'll circle back to you on that, Pazaki or however you pronounce her name, sounds like tzatziki sauce to me, but she keeps saying, I'll circle back on that. We'll have to circle back on that. <laughs> Apparently, they're hammering her in these press conferences, and she is dodging and weaving better than a globetrotter point guard. It is just unbelievable. 
They don't even acknowledge it exists. And to the point now that Biden has signaled that he is not going to go to the border to see from himself, to see for himself, because there's no crisis. <laughs> what an idiot. <sighs> oh, well. But you'll remember I was lamenting in previous episodes, where are my court cases? Because the left has said Trump was lying. Trump made it up. Orange man bad. How can he contest the results of the election? Biden won fair and square. Oops. Apparently, Trump was right. <laughs> A judge in Georgia has signaled that he may unseal the absentee ballots from Fulton County. That's Atlanta. The most populous county in the state of Georgia. Because it appears that fraudulent ballots were cast and other irregularities occurred as workers counted ballots at State Farm Arena on election night, according to the Atlanta Constitution Journal. So this might have some legs. This might, this might actually get somewhere. It's not going to help us because we're still stuck with these two idiots, Harris and Biden, but the judge might unseal it because the signatures that are required have issues. For example, county workers likely fabricated ballots and counted some ballots multiple times on election night. As evidence, this lawyer's lawsuit cites video of the counting as well as sworn statements from people who were present. This is from the Atlanta Constitution Journal. They went on to say that the observers were suspicious of ballots that were printed on a different stock of paper than regular ballots. They appeared to have been printed instead of marked by ink in a voter's hand. Seriously. They literally printed these ballots off. They were not creased either, indicating that they had never been placed in an absentee ballot envelope and mailed. Because the paper was bigger than the ballot. Strike that. Reverse it. The ballot was bigger than the envelope. It had to have been folded in order to have been mailed. And yet they pulled out trunks of ballots. You guys ever, you guys remember those Scantron tests with your number two pencil where you got to fill in the little circle just right? Well, apparently printers can do that just right. And thousands of ballots were cast and then counted and tabulated multiple times. But that's not it. Now, we also have a judge in Michigan and Wisconsin. Well, the one in Wisconsin was earlier. But we have a judge in Michigan that ruled that the Secretary of State for Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, 
gave instructions regarding signature verification on the absentee ballots that violated state law. So why are they not coming to these conclusions while the election was still being contested? Why is this taking place four months later? After we inaugurated this idiot, it is just beyond me. And the only thing that I can think is that, yeah, we're stuck with these two idiots, these two comrades, these socialists, these leftists, but we're fighting all this crap in court now so that they can't pull this crap in 2022 or 2024, which leads to the immigration problem because these democratic states are going to let, they're going to let illegal immigrants vote. So they know they can't cheat again. They can't cheat in the same manner that they did in 2020 with all of these fake ballots because, and this could be a conspiracy theory, they're not going to unleash another pandemic when a Democrat is in the White House. They won't. So, you get illegal immigrants to vote. You give them driver's licenses. You give them all the rights and privileges that are bestowed upon either natural-born citizens or citizens that came through the immigration process legally. All of those rights that are afforded to us in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all of the amendments thereafter. You swim across the Rio Grande, you're good to go. Here's your ballot. Make sure you vote Democrat. That's what's going on. And it's total crap. But anyway, the AG, or the, the Secretary of State, I should say, in Wisconsin, no, Michigan... She basically gave them a set of rules for counting these ballots. So if the signature had similar flourishes, um, if it matched fairly well but not really well, then count it. That's what she did. And it was not her place to do that. The Michigan legislature is the only one that can give those orders and they did not she did universally there you go so if you notice the states that have these problems they are the states that more or less make up the blue wall of democrat states across the upper midwest michigan wisconsin Pennsylvania, Virginia, and then they threw Georgia in for good measure because he needed to get over 220. And now these states, we're starting to see some court cases. So we've got voter fraud in Georgia. We've got illegal rules being utilized to count ballots in Michigan. That is in addition to some of the stuff that's going on in Wisconsin, because Wisconsin officials gave blanket permission 
to allow voters to declare themselves homebound because of the pandemic and skip voter ID requirements. That's illegal. So this blue wall that they were so pissed off at losing to Trump in 2016, come hell or high water, they were going to reclaim that blue wall. And they did it, and they cheated their asses off to do it. Every single time. So I'm finally getting to see my court cases, which is what I wanted to see. And unfortunately, it's it's freaking four months too late, but we finally get to see it. And so that brings me to a different topic, sort of. It kind of boils into it. So last weekend, I went down to North Carolina, and I went on uh, a little hunting trip that uh, my friend's dad organized. And it was more or less a thank you to the people that worked with their land development business. So these were civil engineers, these were lawyers, these were soil scientists. Uh, I mean, they ran the gambit. And it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. So I flew down on uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, and we got up at 2.30 in the morning and drove out to the coast. My, my friend lives about three hours away from the coast. North Carolina is a big state. I don't know if you guys realize this. It's shaped like a giant parallelogram, basically. And to get from Asheville, in the bottom left-hand corner of the state, to where I went, near uh, Beaufort and Moorhead City, on the coast, near Harker's Island, Outer Banks, that is, depending on traffic, six to eight hours. That is a big state to get through if you're going east to west north to south you can get through it in about two two and a half hours but anyway so we drove out there we met a, a couple of his buddies in their boat we took a, a 25 footer out in into uh the atlantic and and did some saltwater fishing there that was a blast we caught a an albacore tuna and uh so that was that was fun uh then we came back to their their duck hunting club and uh, it's not duck season, obviously, but we were there to do quail hunting, and uh, they have all these impoundments that they use as part of the duck hunting season. There's about a dozen of them, and what they did is they dug a giant moat 20 feet, 15 feet deep, 15, 20 feet wide, and then once you cross the moat, the water's only two or three feet deep, and they, they plant all kinds of stuff down there, sorghum, millet corn uh to attract the the ducks uh come fall and winter so they they migrate down there it's a feeding ground it's a breeding ground um but all of the impoundments are stocked with largemouth bass so we did a lot of bass fishing unfortunately the water temperature is a little bit chilly so the the fish weren't very active but we still caught a few uh, so that was fun and then uh the, we did that on our, in our downtime we would go fish largemouth bass fishing in our downtime and then um, on Friday and Saturday, we went out with uh, in groups with uh, uh, bird dog handlers and went around the property to uh, to specific fields that were designated and, and are reserved for, for quail hunting. And they have their own quail pens, and they raise the quail there themselves. So it was a lot of fun. We had a good time, and there was a lot of spirited conversation. Most of them... 
Um, well, I shouldn't say most. All of them um, are Republicans. Most of them were Trump supporters. Uh, but during that, during the conversations that we had, uh, you know, in our downtime in the evening, what have you, uh, my buddy brought up kind of my investing strategy, which he kind of goaded me into explaining. But basically, I uh, and I said, you know, I invested in oil, and I told told him why because I, and I mentioned it to you guys. I figured, well, if Trump won, he'd outlast the pandemic. The economy will come back, people will start driving, the price of oil will go back up, Dave makes money. But in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if they cheat and they win, like they did, they'll crash the economy, oil prices will go up, Dave makes money. And uh, and I said, well, it, I mean, it, it my theory was uh, validated because the first thing Biden did was cancel a bunch of pipelines. You know, for four years, they had staffers and activists just filling up boardrooms within the, the Capitol building, writing uh, executive orders to counter anything good Trump did. You know they did, because nobody shows up to the first day in the White House with 30-plus executive orders already written, and it just, yeah. So they're, they're full of crap. They're, they don't want unity. They just want you to shut up. And take it for four years until we have to fight them all over again. Hopefully, though, in 2022, we can we can take over the House and, and the Senate and have a majority and, and, and quash all of his crap. And every time he issues an executive order, just tie it up in litigation, throw it in court. But anyway, during that conversation, one of the gentlemen there said, well, you know why they canceled those pipelines? And I, and I said, well, it probably had something to do with Warren Buffett. And he said, boy, you got yourself an education there, don't you? <laughs> and what we were referring to was that the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett, owns a lot of assets in the railroad industry. And when you shut down a pipeline, you still have to move the oil but you have to do it in a less efficient manner that's actually more harmful to the environment than the pipeline. And that is to ship it on tankers by rail. Well, when you have a, a very large vested interest, stock portfolio, etc., invested in the rail industry, Pacific Northwest or... BNSF or NS, what all any of those acronyms, I, I, they elude me right now. But you make money because the government is going to pay you and the oil companies are going to be forced to pay you to ship that oil from the north slopes of Alaska and the oil sands of Alberta and Calgary and, and down to the refineries and the... Uh, the Midwest of the U.S. and down on the southeast coast along the Gulf. So instead of putting in a, in an, instead of putting it in an efficient pipeline to move it at speed to these refineries, now you got to truck it, you got to put it on a train, and you got to pay a lot more to do it. And they 
we're in agreement that that's pretty much what's going on. So I don't have any facts on that, but that's a, my theory. So anyway, that's today. That's the that's the show for this week. I think uh, next week we're going to start looking at the Federalist Papers, and we'll and which was basically a, a, a collection of essays that were written um, by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and a fellow named John Jay. Um, they were written as a as and, and published uh, anonymously for residents and the legislature of New York to try and impress upon them to ratify the the proposed constitution. So what I think I want to do is start looking at these individual essays and, and delving into what each of the essays was speaking to. So that could be fun. And, and of course, we'll continue to, to stay on top of the latest news. And, and if I've done anything uh, weird uh, or started new projects or whatever, I'll be sure to, uh, to talk about that as well. Um, I'm actually looking forward to spring because I want to try dandelion wine. I'm going to see if I can make that this year. Um, you know, because I made maple syrup. Why not try some dandelion wine? <laughs> All right, folks, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor.